You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, it's good to be with you all this morning. Let us pray as we come to God's Word. God, we give you thanks for your Word, and as we read it, distill it into our hearts that we may understand and apply it to our own lives and our own context, that we hear this Word, use it to shape us, that we can go out and do the work that you have asked us to do, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. A reading comes from the book of Judges, chapter 7. I'll begin at verse 1. Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the troops that were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The troops with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Israel would only take credit away from me, saying, My own hand has delivered me. Now, therefore, proclaim this in the hearing of the troops. Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. Thus, Gideon sifted them out. Twenty-two thousand returned, and ten thousand remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The troops are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them out for you there. When I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go with you. And when I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, All those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog, you shall put to one side. And all those who kneel down to drink, putting their hands to their mouths, you should put those to the other side. The number of those that lapped was 300, but all the rest of the troops knelt down to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 that lapped, I will deliver you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go to their homes. So he took the jars of the troops from their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel back to their own tents, but retained the 300. The camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, get up, attack the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you fear to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. And you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to attack the camp. Then he went down with his servant Pura to the outposts of the armed men that were in the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley as thick as locusts, and their camels were without number, countless as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon arrived, there was a man telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, I had a dream. And in it, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell. It turned upside down, and the tent collapsed. And his comrade answered, 
This is no other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has given Midian and all the army. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Get up, for the Lord has given the army of Midian into your hand. After he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars, he said to them, Look at me and do the same. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then, you shall also blow trumpets around the whole camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, I had a very difficult conversation with my youngest son. Our youngest son, Jason, just graduated from high school. He's getting ready to go off to college and It started out as an argument between us about something, and I don't really remember what's really not that important, but it ended up with him communicating to me all the ways that I had hurt him and let him down and disappointed him over the past few years. Let me tell you, that was really difficult for me to hear. But I think in many ways, it was even more difficult for him to say. And so I apologized as best I could for the ways that I had hurt him. And we're still working it out. We're still figuring out what our relationship's going to be like going forward. But I think in the end, it's going to be a healthy change. You see, when you idolize someone, when you put someone on a pedestal, when you, when you hold them in such high regard, you set them up as heroes, you see them without any imperfections. And we set a standard for ourselves in that that is impossible to live up to. So Jason's childlike idolization of his father is being transitioned or moving into something that's a little bit more real, genuine. He sees his father with all his faults and imperfections. Not that I thought, I think that he ever thought I was perfect, but hopefully our relationship is more genuine. And my life then can be an example to him of how to live a life of faith, even with incredible flaws and imperfections. Our theme for this summer series is the Incredibles of Faith. And we've pulled out, we've extracted these famous Old Testament characters and highlighted their most significant achievements and said, this is the example, this is what we're to follow. I want to suggest a slightly different tack. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning, and I want to suggest to you something that I think is important, and that is this. The Incredibles of faith aren't really all that incredible. In fact, 
they're just like us. They're just like you and I. So our character today is Gideon. I was given the reading, Judges chapter 7, and the title of the sermon was also given to me, the 300-man army. I mean, that's in the marquee. That's the headline. Here's this man who takes 300 men against an army that's about, we, we estimate, 120, 130,000. And God gives the Midianites into their hands. And that's incredible. But I think we need to back up and say, how did we even get there? How did we get to that point? Because I think the lesson for us is in the details. I don't know about you, I find it difficult to relate to going into battle with 300 men against 130,000. But what is it in the life of Gideon that applies to my situation? So we meet Gideon first, find the story of Gideon in Judges 6, 7, and 8. So in chapter 6, we meet Gideon, and we find him underground in the wine press, threshing his wheat, getting the grain. And the reason he's underground is because for years now, anytime it was time for harvest, the enemies of Israel would come and steal all the food and take it from them. So here's Gideon, hidden underground, gathering his wheat, afraid that the food's going to be stolen. And in that context, in that place, he's met by an angel of the Lord. So here we are, chapter 6. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What about what Gideon was doing right now suggested that he was a mighty warrior at all? He's hiding. He's afraid. But the angel calls him and says, you're a mighty warrior, and suggests to him that he is to lead the Israelites against the Midianites, against their enemies, that God has heard their cries and is going to deliver them. A couple verses later, this is Gideon's response. But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So Gideon's response is something like, who, me? Are you talking to me? I think you have the wrong guy. Now this is not unusual. Frequently, when God or an angel of God comes to someone in scriptures, their response is, I think you've got the wrong person. Moses said, I don't speak well, can't be me. Even Mary, when she's met by the angel, says, I'm a virgin, how is this even possible? There's doubt and there's questioning. I completely relate to this, I understand this. Cindy's here, my wife and I, the last couple of years have been trying to discern God's will, like what is it that you desire for us this next stage of our lives? Things had been kind of finishing and wrapping up where we had been, and we just didn't know. I've been working in, a, in an outdoor sports store for the last 15, 18 months. I was thinking that my doctor wasn't to do that. What was I supposed to be doing? 
And so we've had conversations with churches and nonprofits and institutions of higher education all over the country. Lots of conversations and visits. And for some reason, and I don't know why, RPC kept kind of bubbling to the surface, almost as if God was calling us here. And trust me when I tell you, God and I had words. Something like, God, that's in Georgia. God, it's hot and humid in Georgia. We live in East Tennessee. Our son graduated from UT. Like, we're Vols fans. Go Orange. That place is crawling with UGA supporters. Even worse, it's near the Alabama border. There are probably ardent Bama supporters there. And you know they're all but irredeemable. You've got to find some God who's stronger, who's more faithful than me. It can't be us. You can't be calling us to this place. Well, here we are. Hope you're happy. So Gideon hears the call, and actually a couple things happen, but eventually calls troops together and gathers 32,000 men, as we read. 32,000 fighting men against an army of, I don't know, 120, 130,000, so four to one odds. Not looking great. And so Gideon is a little nervous. So as he gathers them, he says, okay, God, I've got the army, but I'm still not feeling right about this. You're going to have to perform a miracle. You're going to have to prove yourself to me. So he says, God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay a fleece out, a sheepskin on the ground. I'm going to leave it there overnight. And when I wake up in the morning, I want that sheepskin to be saturated with dew, but the ground all around it, completely dry. Goes to bed, wakes up wrings out the sheepskin, soaked, ground dry. Gideon says, not bad. Good job. You're going to have to do that again. But this time I want it opposite. This time I want the sheepskin dry and the ground around it completely saturated. Goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, exactly as he requested. Two miracles for God to prove that Israel was going to be delivered from the Midianites. Now you might think, okay, we're ready to go. Time to gather those troops and let's go. But it's almost as if God at that point said, I think this is an opportunity to really stretch the faith of Gideon and the Hebrew people. That was our reading. That God suggests to Gideon that you've got too many fellows with you. I called you, you doubted, you questioned and needed a miracle, and now you've got some men, and I don't know, maybe you'll take credit for it. You need to know that me, God, is the one that's delivering. So just ask any of the guys who don't want to be there, who are feeling a little fearful about the four to one odds against you if they want to go. 22,000 say, bye. I'm out. Now we've got more than 10 to 1 odds. How's that going to go? That's got to be it, right? Nope. Take them down to drink. And I will tell you how to discern. And so about 9,700 of them get down on one knee, scoop the water up, and drink it like this, keeping watch. 
And 300 of them are so hot and thirsty and just don't care what anyone thinks, they get down on all fours, put their face straight into the water, and drink it like a dog. God says, take those. Those are your men. Now, in case you haven't been watching or paying attention, any time a dog is mentioned in Scripture, not good. It's negative. It's derogatory. They're seen as scavengers, as dirty, as pretty much good for nothing. They did not have the same relationship with dogs that we do today. So not only does God reduce the army from 32,000 down to 300, but the 300 that Gideon is given are the dogs, the dregs. God's saying, you going to trust me now, Gideon? How's your faith? Recognizing that Gideon now was being pushed to his absolute limits, God says, but I have one more thing for you. One more. Go with your servant outside the Midianite camp at night and just listen in and hear that I am already at work, that I am already doing the work. So he goes and we read it. And he hears about the dream and then the revelation of what the dream means. And it is apparent to Gideon that God is already at work with the Israelites to defeat the enemy. And it's then, it is only then that Gideon worships. Finally, finally, after all this time, Gideon worships and commits to doing as God asked, as God asked to do it. It took an incredibly long time for him to get to that point. Just like you and me. We're no different. So where does that leave us? You and I have been asked by God to act and live in a way that seems impossible, too hard. How can we do this? And if we continue to view characters that we read in Scripture from this pedestal, there's no connection, there's no application to our lives. But if we get behind the scenes and see them in their humanity and their weakness, we understand the connection that their lives have with our own. The reason that these stories have been maintained from generation to generation to generation is not because of the fantastical stories, as important as they are, because people saw themselves in these characters and understood that it was really a struggle. It was difficult to understand what God was doing and respond as God desires us to. It was a struggle for all people. And I understand why we teach these stories for children and young people, because it is exciting and dynamic. But we have to do the work to understand what's underneath. So I'm going to need your help, hope you're still awake, to land this plane we call a sermon. You're going to participate. And if you're at home watching at home, you're not absolved. You have to do it too, no matter what day of the week it is you're watching. 
So I'm going to need you to respond with me. Your part is going to be, but God is always faithful. Try that with me together. You ready? But God is always faithful. So here's where we've been. This is what we learned from Gideon. First, we often doubt initially when God calls us and feel it's too difficult to do what we've been asked to do together. But God is always faithful. Second, sometimes it takes a miracle or even two to get us moving together. But God is always faithful. There's no doubt that God takes opportunities to stretch our faith, to push us beyond what we think is possible to our absolute limits together. But God is always faithful. And we have to admit that we are often slow to worship and slow to respond. One more time. But God is always faithful. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are faithful, that in the stories of Gideon and Rahab and Moses and all these people, that there are connections to our lives because they are real and they are human and they are honest and they struggle and they're figuring it out just like us. I thank you that you are always faithful, that you never leave us never forsake us. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.